African Dialogue, looking at different events in depth, discussing a variety of issues. What we see here is a clear violation of one, the rights to privacy of Tiwonge and uh, Stephen. The position of Greenpeace is that it's been a disappointing meeting. Well, good morning. Thank you for joining us right here on Channel Africa. It is 11 o'clock Central African time. It's time for African Dialogue. Remember, you're listening to us on the shortwave service on the frequency 9625 kilohertz on the 31-meter band to Southern Africa. And uh, you're always with me as well on DSTV at this time on Channel 802 on the audio bouquet. And you can also stream us live on www.channelafrica.co.za. Well, uh, you know, conferences that I've been to in the last three years, they always centralize this theme the fourth industrial revolution and in every conference or gathering really it's just almost kind of a term that's utilized without really er energizing what this particular uh, phrase actually means it's very fancy but what does it actually mean for me and you ordinary people reading this article on Forbes uh, titled the fourth industrial revolution is here are you ready by Bernard Ma and he highlights uh, very interesting things. But what stood out was this quote of Professor Klaus Schwab, the founder of the World Economic Forum, who argues that the most important challenge facing humanity today is how to understand and shape the new technology revolution. According to Schwab, the fourth industrial revolution captures the idea of new technologies and the impact on the world. He says, like any revolution, there will be opportunities and risks such as potential job losses and rising inequalities. That is the main concern when it comes to this revolution that we're speaking about. But the question then becomes, why is it important for policymakers and everyone to understand how to deal with the changes that will come with the fourth industrial revolution? Like To look at this big subject matter, we're joined by uh, Martin Zane, who is the Executive Director at the Council for Scientific and Industrial Research, joining us in studio alongside Paul Clark, who's the Africa Specialist at Ashburton Investments. Thank you, James, for giving us your time. Also on the line, we've got Godwin Koza, who is uh, the Chief Executive Officer at the National Education Collaboration Trust. Well, let me start with you, Martin, in terms of unpacking what the fourth industrial revolution. This term is almost highbrow currently. It hasn't really seeped through into society as a general term. So what does this fourth industrial revolution mean for Africa? And actually, what is it? Well, actually, it's a, a really great thing. Um, it's, it's all about technology uh, in, in, a, in a basic sense, sure. but it's about uh, convergence. Mm. So it's all the new technologies coming together to make a new thing, and that's really the fourth industrial revolution. So it's an evolution mm. rather than a revolution sure. in that sense, because we've got all the technology, it's just how we're using it. And um, around that, so, you know, it's, it's the, 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 one of the platform bases is digitalization. Sure. Everything around us is becoming digital. digital. Mm. And you can see it on our mobile phones, you can see it in our cars, you can see it on our homes. So why, uh, why not extend that into mm. the production environment? And we talk about production versus manufacturing because production is much, much more. Mm. And it's all industries again. 
So you're producing food, but you're also producing machinery or you're producing cars. Um, and, and the whole value chain is becoming digital. And we talk about the digital twin, mm. the digital thread. And uh, that is allowing us to bring new technologies like augmented and virtual mm. reality into the space. Mm. Um, it's also allowing us to use new production techniques mm. like uh, additive manufacturing. Mm. And we're talking about 3D printing. Mm. We talk about uh, 4D printing even now, which is the extension of 3D printing, okay. which is where objects change over time. Uh, so it's a fourth dimension. Mm. And um, if, we, if we then take a look at how skills are changing, mm. we've got to adapt. Uh, and that's the revolution part. We have to ad- adapt mm. the Le- skills. Let me take it to Paul because that's a bit scary. It's almost like the world of robotics has taken over uh, my job. I'm sure some robotic machinery could be invented with some form of IQ to actually address questions <laughs> and in interviews such as like this. So that's what scares people that this kind of thing could take away jobs and where do we actually have a limit when it comes to actually creating uh, this revolution or evolution as was cited by Martin? Uh, I think the the really exciting thing for the continent of Africa is that we can use these new technologies and actually do things that we couldn't do before. So if you just a simple use of, of a multiple technologies, let's say like drones and GPS technology, suddenly you can deliver pharmaceuticals to a clinic somewhere where it would have taken you a very long time and it would have you you would maybe have to keep a vaccine, for example, in a fridge, you don't have electricity there. Sure. So so suddenly you've you've opened up new possibilities. And I and I think um you know with all these uh as as Martin said, putting the technologies together that exist already, um the continent can do a lot of things a lot better. And if you just think of someone, let's say, who has a a bed and breakfast in uh, in Nairobi, and they and they want to suddenly market that more freely, and they put it on Airbnb. So they're using uh, their smartphone, someone else's uh, computer, wherever they are in the world. They suddenly reach an enormously new uh, and bigger audience. So as as these sort of new technologies are able to to combine things. Yes, that improves things enormously. Do you need, does that person need to be massively educated? No, not necessarily, because you can put that on Airbnb without being a technology expert. Not all of us understand how GPS works, but we can still use uh, our GPS to to find our way somewhere. So, you know, those, putting the technologies together allows the continent to to potentially grow a lot better Mm. and we can perhaps talk more about farming Mm. later but there are a lot of benefits that can happen well let me come to gordwin because martin and paul are selling this fall industrial revolution very well and they haven't really answered that big uh, elephant in the room when it comes to the fourth industrial revolution which is a a job an issue of job creation and also the the issue of job loss uh, that's sometimes seen as a threat when it comes to uh, w- when we have to see an advancement of technologies what's your thought on that little negative that seems to bug people when they speak about the fourth industrial revolution godwin well firstly uh, good morning gentlemen and thanks for the input so far um, <clears throat> the the interesting part is that my i'm an educationist and with particular focus on basic education. Sure. So this is about how we teach kids from almost from birth until they are ready to go into university or the world of work. So sure. obviously we upstream from the skills uh, provision 
uh, you know, a point. Um, and I think, you know, our vantage point into the fourth industrial revolution for us, it's a different one. Okay. So, in spite of the fact that it is a, you know, fueled by the convergence of technologies, you know, which started in the 1960s and it's been developing and is now highly complex, our our interface with it is, is in two forms. Sure. One is what potential is there from the fourth industrial revolution to do teaching and learning differently, right? The second part is how then do we respond as schools? So how should we prepare young people for their others like life and their economic you know, um, you know, participation. Um, you know, how we take advantage, it's much more, you know, straightforward and with mm. lots of research and suggestions in that sense. You can teach, you know, from a distance and that kind of stuff. But the big one is how do schools, how should schools change and how, what sure. should schools teach and how, what kind of a person should we prepare Um for this, you know, industrial revolution. So there are three there are three ways in which we have to change what we how we prepare the kids. One is that we want to strike a balance and almost move from one sphere to the other, move from a knowledge based you know curriculum to more of a skills based you know curriculum, mm-hmm. as well as behavior. So behavior is going to be a big, 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 big issue going forward. Um, and it's often under, you know, uh, stated when people talk about the response to uh, the fourth industrial revolution. But let me just start with knowledge. So the education that you and I have gone through is largely focused on knowing stuff and regurgitating sure. information and so on. You don't need to do that today. Mm. You know, you've got Google. Sure. You know, Google tells you. So what you need to know is actually how to... Um, through heaps of information and how to tell whether the information is correct and you can use it constructively and so on. So that's how we need to use knowledge. But secondly, in terms of knowledge, in the past you had specialists who specialized in one aspect. Mm. The fourth industrial revolution requires people to specialize in multiple disciplines. So how we have to prepare our kids, we have to lean more towards multiple, you know, disciplinarity. Um, so it, it it should be okay to teach. In fact, it's desirable today to teach mathematics with us. Mm. You know, you, you never would do that in the past. Sure. So us was one field and mathematics was another field. But you know, you can get a good combination that helps you lead a competent, a competent life, competitive life. A if you did history and mathematics, for instance. Sure. So there's a new uh, slant to how we should uh, teach, um, you know, kids. The second one is skills. I mean, the new skills that we require in order for, you know, people to live in this in this new world. And I think that's pretty much clear. I can talk about it later on. Sure. But the most important one is actually uh, behaviors. Mm. You know, what sort of behaviors do we require in a complicated world? where things are done on a tablet, on a phone, you, you can connect to the world, you mm. know, as easy as all that. But to summarize this first input, it's actually to say that we need out of schools more of 
collaborators and orchestrators, synthesizers, explainers, versatil- new versatilities, uh, personalizers and localizers in a complex you know, world. Mm. And the challenge is, if education does not change, then what would what that will result in is what we call social pain. Yeah. So the difference between technological advancement and the lag, the lag between sure. technolo- technological advancement and the education that's provided. Well, I'm going to come back to those particular points because that shows us how much catching up we need to do just generally. And uh, there's this term every time that we speak about fourth industrial revolution that comes in, which is leapfrogging that Africa has to do because we've missed probably a large percentage of the third industrial revolution. If you see what's happening in capitals such as Shenzhen, when you have an entire city that's built on software development industries. So how does Africa catch up with those particular backlogs that we've seen with our ITC industries? Well, we'll deal with that after this break. Welcome to Change Your Game on Channel Africa, the African perspective. We are coming to you from Johannesburg, right here in South Africa. I'm Asanda Beda, your host. Change Your Game, the program that promotes open discussion and social dialogue as we highlight real issues in the African entrepreneurship ecosystem. Trevor Mumba now joins us in studio to talk about his entrepreneurial and personal journey. Welcome to Change Again, Trevor. Thank you so much. Um, it's an honor to be here. Palesa Mukubong, who's a designer. Welcome, Palesa, to Change Your Game. Thank you. Your role at the fourth annual Fashion Without Borders event? I just know that I need to arrive and, and, <laughs> okay. and do my part and do it really, really well. Time right now is 21 minutes past 11 o'clock. That's Central African time. Thank you for joining us right here on African Dialogue, where from Monday to Thursday, we bring you in experts to really unpack the big subject matters. And today, it's not politics. Today, we're looking at uh, technology on the African continent. We're asking this question, what does the fourth industrial revolution matter for the continent of Africa? And uh, just from Godwin's answer earlier on, Godwin Koza is the chief executive officer of the National Education Collaboration Trust. We're speaking about how much we need to actually shift in terms of the education structures and how we actually need to rewire the way we actually look at curriculums. And we also have Martin Zane, uh, Zane rather, who is the um, Executive Director at uh, the Council of Scientific and Industrial Research in Studio. Uh, Paul Clark uh, is the Africa Specialist at Ashburton Investments. Martin, let me come to you in terms of that particular aspect of things, what was highlighted by Godwin. It just shows that we really need to rethink our whole structure of how we see the development of uh, new technologies as a whole, as a continent. For you, in your perspective, how do you think we can actually start because we need to start sometime. I mean, when you look at just this issue of digital migration when it comes to the uh, media industry, it's taking forever just to get that process going. And when you speak about fourth industrial revolution, you're talking about multiple industries shifting their thinking in this new technology era. Yeah, so it's it's all about acceleration. And, um, <clears throat> you know, I think it's commonly accepted that 
the acceleration in the next uh, while is going to be faster than in the past. So people are saying, you know, the change in the next 10 years is going to be greater than the change in the last 30 years. And that means that we all have to change as fast as things are around us are changing. And Africa is going through um, major change. So we're going to go through major growth as well. So we, we're going to have to develop our infrastructure. We're going to have to produce more food. We have to look at our water. We have to look at our education systems, obviously. And all of this has to be done extremely quickly. So we, A, we have to catch up, but we also have to grow at the same time. So um, how do we manage this? And that can only be by adopting new ways, adopting new technologies. And those technologies will impact our private lives. They impact our um, security. They impact our cities. They impact uh, how we produce and consume things, how we transport things. Um, you know, we're going to move from, uh, you know, petrol and diesel engines. We're probably going to move to electric motors. And that's going to be pervasive all across Africa. You know, why should we be left behind in, in Africa? And uh, that, that means that we're going to uh, have people moving into jobs which are probably not defined. And the one stat that, that the World Economic Forum always sure. uh, uses is that 65% of the kids starting school today will be working in jobs that have not been defined properly yet. When they graduate. Wow, that's interesting. So. You know, Paul, do you think we have that kind of capacity as Africa to move into that particular new model of lifestyle as a whole and approaching industries? I think, uh, you know, you only have to look at how Africa adopted mobile money, for example. And, and if we look 63% uh, at the end of 2017, 63% of all the, the value of all mobile money transactions in the world were in Africa, but most of that sub-Saharan Africa. And, uh, and that was about $20 billion a month. So Africa have, Africans have adopted new technologies quite readily. It's, it's not as if we, we stand back. And I think, you know, as as Martin was saying earlier, we obviously the the continent's growing quite quickly. We have to 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 catch up, but we also have to produce more food. But if you think about the way we produce food at the moment, and and, and we don't really have in many areas a cold chain, which means the farmer can produce food, it can be kept fresh, it can be then moved to the market, etc. Now, if we think of how cheap, for example, solar energy uh, panels have become and how instead of in the past we used to roll out these massive power stations with this massive um, transmission network and the only way to connect everybody was everybody had to be on this big transmission network. Now you can have a, a small decentralized network of electricity that allows that farming community maybe to have a cold room, maybe to, to then have a product that, that can then be sold into a wider region and a wider market. And the productivity gains you could make from that are enormous. Most Af the, the biggest employer still on the continent is in agriculture. So all those people would suddenly become more productive, have more goods that they can sell. And, and how do you then manage that network? Well, a lot of that can be done remotely now using uh, cell phone technology. So you don't have to have, you know, this massive rollout that you used to have in the past. Where you, in, in the same is true, of course, for, for telephone, telephony. You, you used to have to roll out this big network of, of copper cables around the country, and then along came cell phone networks, and you don't need that anymore. So, you know, I think... What Africa needs to do is to is to to grab hold of those um, ideas and 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 to to then implement them, but uh, 
Yes, one of the, the interesting things is uh, Mr. Magda Diop, who's the Vice President for Africa at the, at the World Bank, he said at the World Economic Forum uh, in 2006, for, 16 for Africa, implementation, implementation, implementation. <laughs> so there's a yeah. lot that needs to be done. And, sure. and obviously to enable all these technologies to take place, we'll need the right kind of environment, uh, enough investment in infrastructure mm-hmm. to, to some extent, uh, and we also need the right legislative and political um, will to, to make all these things happen. And that takes me back to you, Gordon, because that's where the point you were touching on when it comes to the skill capacity. And you said you, you wanted to come back to that particular point because I think that's an important one. We're not just in an environment. Traditionally in South Africa, in our mainstream, we've always thought of uh, industries as the posh ones being being accountants, uh, lawyers, being the doctors, being the teachers. Those have always been kind of the traditional um, top uh, careers for countries such as South Africa. But are we doing enough in the education system to make people shift and see possibilities in the technological industries uh, or are we still a bit behind even with uh, changing uh, our just psychology of career in the country so you know perhaps let me dabble a bit into what Paul and Martin have been commenting about which is obviously an upstream consideration in education sure. and I, I only agree that uh, we're dealing with a, you know, a revolution that's much faster than the previous one, and correctly put it as evolution. Um, you know, since uh, you know, you know developed in expon- exponential, you know, rate. But the other characteristic of this revolution, if you like, mm. um, is that it's very disruptive. Um, just to give you an answer, I mean, uh, an, an example, um, I think it was Paul who was talking about food production and so on. Sure. Um, and then the, the advantage is that we get more efficient in the allocation and the transportation distribution of, of the food. But just an example, and, and in a kind of speculative, it's quite possible that, you know, through technology, we can actually reduce the, con- the, the consumption demand um, individually. You know, the biological, you know, discoveries linked to technology, um, you know, across the world, uh, will bring in those kind of, uh, of of efficiencies. So that sure. can actually cause a big change in terms of, um, you know, play of things in the in 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 the in the in the world. So how do we as educationists take that? Um, you know, planning has been done in a particular way in the past decades of centuries. So we kind of crunch the data and we plan in a fixed manner and tell in a manner that things won't change suddenly and so on. And that's why we educated the kids the way we did. But what we need now is not giving kids a script. It's not it's rather giving kids developing in each and every young person a compass on their own which belongs to them and helps them to navigate a complicated world. So that means a completely different way of a, of of, um, of of teaching and educating our kids, and in fact, it, it it suggests a completely different way in which you know HR managers and mm. the employers and the the schools and the universities you know should should relate. Um, but you know something that works uh, actually has done a lot of work on is 
you know, what kind of jobs actually would emerge, and therefore, what kind of uh, you know education we should provide? What we know, you know, for certain is that the jobs that will survive, you know, going into the future, or rather, the jobs that are surviving, are those that have a you know kind of a non-routine, mm. um, you, you know, task, as well as require personalized uh, uh, attention. So why are you not, you know, routine you know, jobs, driving, accountant, bookkeeper, you know, the typical, you know, assembly work? You should see a lot more of that work being done by the people. Mm. And I'm sure we'll see banks disappearing and bank tellers not, um, not in the picture going forward. Mm. But things such as um, psychology and human resources, I think that that would, uh, will remain. Um, because it requires personalized, you know, engagement. Uh, and so when we design the curriculum, these are the sorts of things that we take into account. But mm. obviously, you know, I think this development, this evolution has caught the education system, systems across the world, unaware. Mm. So I want to... I, I want to, Martin, I want to, sorry to cut you off. I want to touch on some of, I mean, uh, Gordon, I want to touch on some of these points with the, with the gents in our studio because I think it's interesting, the things that you highlight. Martin, I want to come to you in terms of those particular disruptions that we've seen from technologies, that they actually rewire the way we're actually going to do business, we're going to do life, we're going to do just general work, just in general. And those disruptions, sometimes society hasn't adapted to them. And how do we actually rewire ourselves the way that Gordon is highlighting? Because I, I see that we're very slow as a continent in that regard at catching up with technology. It's almost like we've always seen technology as more of a medium, and sometimes it's going to become uh, the central point of operation. Right. So, well, it, it really depends. If, mm. the, if the technology makes sense, it gets adopted very, very quickly. Sure. So it's really where one has um, needed to roll out very big and complicated infrastructure mm. that things have become slow. But uh, if I just, you know, the example was mentioned earlier on mm. on mobile phones, that rollout was very, very fast because sure. it made sense. In a similar way, as we um, disintermediate uh, certain value chains and we can go directly to the source, mm. which means... Theoretically, I could uh, 3D print some of the things that I need locally in a town, city, or in a village even. Mm. So I don't need to have a central factory that we then have to order things and transport them over long distances to where they get consumed. Mm. I can create it where it is needed. So that is one of the big uh, areas where we're going to see a, a disruption okay. and a big change. And that is certainly linked to renewable energy. Mm. Um, it is linked to new materials, mm. advanced materials. Uh, it is definitely linked to the fact that we are going to be able to uh, 3D print mm. uh, a lot of the things that we have. Clothing, shoes. Mm. There's already companies 3D printing shoes. So, um, you know, what's to stop that going into all walks of life? You know, um, the way f food is transported and kept is going to change as well. So um, medicine, I can create, you know, transport the basic ingredients that I need in, in medication mm. and then actually package it on site, uh, things like that. So you'll see um, uh, different ways of uh, new approaches coming out to tackle problems 
and solve them in a very efficient way. It's about mm. efficiency of production. Mm. And what, what's your thoughts there, Paul, in terms of the shift of um, career pathways and also shift of industrialization as a whole? I think, um, you know, we're already seeing, for example, in a place like Nairobi, a tech hub uh, in, in a way where a lot of, of tech uh, guys congregate and, and, and new apps and things are, are developed. But I think the continent will benefit in 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 other ways probably earlier in other words i hear all the things that martin's talking about quite sophisticated things but what we could do on the continent is become a lot more efficient um so uh, dr yaki Silias from the institute for security studies has done some work and and he says that you know if somebody moves uh during his from a rural area in urbanization mm-hmm. they become twice as productive as they were in agriculture uh however if they move into a manufacturing environment they become six times more productive we also know that smes are going to be a big driver of employment and of, of keeping people economically active across the continent sure. and smes can really benefit uh from the kind of technologies martin was talking about because suddenly like I mentioned, that lady with a and b in Nairobi's got a much bigger reach and suddenly her marketability is bigger. And she didn't really have a capital outlay for that. She just had mm. to learn how to do it. Mm. Um, so I think without us regenerating all the workers across Africa into kind of a, a technology mode, we can make SMEs, we can make agriculture much more productive, as I mentioned mm. earlier. And by creating that improved productivity, productivity growth, even just with, with growing manufacturing, uh, Dr. Salias thinks that the GDP growth of the continent up to 2040 could go up from 4.8% to sure. 6.5%. Mm. So that's suddenly an enormous pickup. And uh, and yes, there's there are lots of benefits and that we probably don't even know about yet. Um, but, you know, someone has said necessity is the mother of uh, invention, but in Africa it's the mother of innovation. So mm-hmm. I think there are going to be a lot of ways technologies uh, that are in the fourth industrial revolution mm-hmm will make a lot more sense in an African context than they necessarily make sense in a more developed and, and a much more concentrated population like in Europe, for example. Well, I'm going to take a quick break. Fascinating conversation indeed, and it's exciting. It's also worrying to a certain degree, but it seems like it's posing a lot of uh, advantages in terms of what uh, the fourth uh, industrial revolution can give us. Let's take one more break, and then when we come back, what shift would we need from a policymaking level, and also how do governments have to realign uh, their own uh, policies to uh, the demands of of uh, today's globalized uh, new industrial world. Remembering Mama Albertina Sisulu. We will say whatever we are expected to say by the people, and we are aligning ourselves with the struggle for the people. We are aligning ourselves with the struggle for the liberation of the oppressed people of this country. Mama Sisulu's 
Well, thank you for joining us right here on African Dialogue as we wrap up our conversation with Martin Zane, who is uh, the Executive Director at the Council for Scientific Industrial Research, and Paul Clark is alongside him here in studio. He is the Africa Specialist at Ashburton Investments. Thank you to Godwin as well, Koza, who is on the line, the Chief Executive Officer of the National Education Collaboration Trust, joining us for this very fascinating uh, conversation. Uh, let's try and see if we can can find an avenue to end the conversation in terms of the shift. Governments have to shift their way of seeing industries as a whole. In terms of that policy uh, level, uh, policy making level, Martin, what do you think needs to be realigned? I think we, we're doing it already. Sure. Um, you know, a lot of steps have been put in place, so it's, it's all very good news mm. around that. One can accelerate it, maybe. Mm. Um, the, the main point is to encourage uh, the local industrialization or reindustrialization. So mm. the right incentives need to be put in place. Um, you know, we've all heard about the moves around foreign direct investment. We need to encourage parties to set up shop in South Africa, in Africa, in Southern mm. Africa, maybe all over Africa. And with, as part of that, one needs to have a collaborative approach. So it doesn't mean that one country does everything. But there, there are certain things that make sense to be done in, in certain uh, geographical areas because mm. of mineral resources or whatever it is. And one needs to collaborate. So, and, and that's the, what the Fourth Industrial Revolution allows mm. because we digitize our processes. We can put together products from different geographical regions mm. um, in, into one design. Mm. So that's, that's the type of thing that I'd like to see. Godwin, from your perspective, you were speaking from an educational um, perspective. Uh, from policy level, I think we are st- starting to see people starting to rethink organizations such as yours also investing in that type of uh, research and work. But Godwin, what has to be done to actually make sure that uh, these ideas trickle down into uh, the education system itself? I think we need policy shifts in two uh, broad areas. The first is curriculum and the second one is the environment within which teaching and learning takes place. With respect to curriculum, as I said, we have to promote more interdisciplinarity so, and we may have to actually move away from traditional subjects that is you know, pure math to integrated you know, mathematics and stuff like that, mm-hmm. modern things like entrepreneurship and a, a modern literacy such as digital literacy entrenched into the curriculum. In terms of skills, we have to promote a lot more of creativity, critical thinking, communication, and collaboration, as uh, you know, Martin was, uh, was saying earlier on. We've got to build this in every individual. Character, as I said, very important. We need more mindful you know, people, more curious people, more courageous, more resilient, more ethical uh, you know, people. So the education system, the curriculum must embody all those you know, mm. elements. And importantly, in each of these, uh, um, uh, uh, you know, persons, we should build the ability for them to continue a process of meta-learning. So actually learning on their own and, you know, actually living as, uh, you know, people who can change on an ongoing basis. Mm. Obviously, the environment has to change. I think, you know, more access to connectivity would actually help you know, fast-track learning, which mm. learning can happen outside the classroom, sure. in homes, as kids play and so on. So things like broadband and access mm. to connectivity would actually uh, help a lot, you know, um, 
the us taking advantage of the fourth industrial revolution. Paul, your final sentiments? Yeah, I think um, uh, I'm, I'm. You know, we need to to have the right policies uh, in place. One of the things that that we've seen is there's the Continental Free Trade Area sure, Agreement sure. that many African countries signed at the African uh, Union recently. Yeah. And uh, the the good thing about that is that we will hopefully be able to, as as Martin mentioned, have made in Africa for Africa. And if we can improve cross-border trade, that will obviously be particularly positive. Um, again, I, I'm, I think we need the right policies to create a business environment that encourages new businesses to start up um, based on the innovative thoughts that perhaps they've learned at school. Mm. Uh, and then, uh, you know, Especially SMEs, we we would re- in my view we really really need um, an environment that supports SMEs. And recent su- some recent stats I heard that in South Africa, for example, seven days out of the working month of uh, are, by, are spent by SMEs just on administration. So we need to try and cut out that mm-hmm. red tape, make it easy and possible for people mm-hmm. to start up small businesses, mm-hmm. because that'll probably be the future for the continent in terms of growth and and employment. Fantastic. Thank you, gents, for giving us your time. It's been a fantastic conversation and having you guys in studio has been very, very enlightening and great ideas that have been thrown around in this very optimistic conversation. Thank you to our guest, Martin Zayne, who is uh, the Executive Director at the Council for Scientific and Industrial Research. Thank you to Paul Clark, uh, Africa, a specialist at Ashburton Investments, and Gordon Koza, who is the Chief Executive Officer of the National Education Collaboration Trust. Thank you all for giving us your time. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Fantastic. Thanks very much.